Welcome to the Abiding Word with Pastor Jim Swigert of Calvary Chapel Faith Fellowship. Pastor Jim is teaching through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Now let's join Pastor Jim for today's Abiding Word. Good morning once again. Let's open our Bibles to Mark chapter 13. It's, it's a blessing to be here this morning, amen? And I'm, I'm so blessed that uh, this church is a praying church. And I thank you for all your prayers, for the many prayer requests that went out this week. And I think it's interesting, uh, maybe not interesting is the right word, but you know, not long ago in our Wednesday night prayer group, we've really been focusing on battle mode praying. We'll continue to do that. And then in light of last week's message and all, it's just, you know, the enemy hates it when God's people are praying to God. And it just seems like warfare intensifies, sickness increases, and all those things when we pray, it's like, maybe we shouldn't pray. That's not, that's not of the Lord. But I think when we gain a mind to pray and seeking the Lord, we, we, we experience and then we expect that there's one that's always coming against us. It's the Antichrist spirit in which we have on this earth. Uh, but again, how encouraging it is that we are a people of prayer. And I want to encourage folks that before you leave today, if you, you need to pray, if you need somebody to pray for you, if you need prayer, every one of us that is born again has the Holy Spirit, and we can pray for one another. So be encouraged to pray for one another. And um, the Lord is faithful. So let's open up to Mark 13 and read the first four verses together. Then as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answered and said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? So, Father, we come before you this morning. We pray, Lord, that our praise and our worship to you has been pleasing to you, Lord. We thank you that you are our God. And now, Lord, we pray specifically for your Holy Spirit to be our teacher. As we come to Mark 13, Lord, knowing that this is perhaps one of the more difficult chapters in all of Scripture. And, uh, Lord, we need your help to interpret it, to apply it. And so, Father, we, we call upon you this morning to send forth your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. So, uh, Mark 13, as we continue through the Gospel, Mark, the time frame is Jesus had gone uh, or come into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. He's gone into uh, the temple, um, you know, and turned over the tables. He's cursed the fig tree and all. And so, as we saw in Mark chapter 12, on that day that Jesus was in the temple, Tuesday, uh, he had that time with the Jewish religious leaders, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, uh, the scribes and all. And Jesus went through you know, a great deal of hostility, uh, conflict, if you will, tension between these religious leaders and Jesus. And Jesus answered their questions. And, uh, and then Jesus also showed... Uh, his disciples, he told them to beware of the scribes because they prayed on and wanted to devour widows. And then Jesus showed them of this lady who, uh, you know, we look at it and certainly rightfully so, commending her for uh, giving from what she had. But the, the, the gist of that was is that the false religion, praying on man, praying on that woman. And so Jesus now, as we read in verse 1, he, he leaves the temple. And so he, he, we, those of you who have been to Israel, you know that's a wonderful site. You have the, the, the wall, the temple wall, and, 
And then you have the Kidron Valley, and as you stand on Mount Oves, you see that. And it's incredible. And if you had a good tour guide, he would tell you good and awesome things about that site. If you don't have one that say that a Messianic Jewish person, they have a lot of knowledge, but you can feel that the Spirit's not there. We understand that the Mount of Olives that's very significant uh, in the Scriptures. So Jesus here, they, they leave the temple. And one of the disciples, not mentioned, asked Jesus, you know, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. Now, no doubt, um, even looking at it today, the temple mount itself, the, the wall and all, uh, just incredible to, to see that and have the background of the Bible. But remember that the temple itself was a sight to see. Magnificent. Now, remember here, the temple that Herod's temple, this wasn't like the original temple that Solomon built back in uh, roughly 959 B.C. And remember that temple was de destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. And then as the Jews, as we've uh, studied in Ezra and, and uh, Zechariah and Haggai and all, the temple was rebuilt. And, and then we know that over time, and that was about 516 that it was completed. Then roughly 500 years later, due to deterioration and all, then Herod, he comes on the scene wanting to please the Jews. And he begins just a massive building uh, campaign and pouring in even to the temple. And it was a sight to see, but remember, uh, you know, around 20 BC is when the uh, construction, renovation, if you will, of the temple took place. It wasn't finished. When Jesus is here with his disciples, it wasn't finished. We know that it wouldn't be finished until about 64 AD, which is significant. But still, it would be something, you know, incredibly awesome, amazing to see, to marvel at. And so, the temple here under construction, but yet still a sight to see. And according to uh, the Jewish historian, um, it's interesting. You look up these things, you get all different kinds of, you know, how big were the stones? Well, this commentator says this. So I'm just going to give you Josephus, right? That's safe, right? Uh, according to Josephus, the Jewish historian, the temple itself at this time covered one-sixth of the land of Jerusalem. About 172 feet long, 20 stories high. The foundation stones were 20 feet high, 20 feet wide, 40 feet long. And this really varies among uh, scholars. Uh, on the light side from Josephus, uh, these foundational stones weighed about 110 tons each. And if you go to Israel today, you see these stones there, and they show you how they, it's like, how do they move them? Well, they, find a, they found a way, just like they built a period. Pyramids, uh, you know, man found a way. But again, the, it was said that these massive stones were carved so perfectly and fit together so precisely that a knife or a piece of paper couldn't even lay flat between them. Uh, again, just incredible to see. Uh, the outward face of the temple and its front was covered with plates of gold of great weight. And when the sun rose in the morning and you looked at the temple, you could be blinded by the reflection. So again, all pointing to the massive temple, you know, foundational for the Jewish people. And now this disciple who's not mentioned says to Jesus, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. Now it's interesting in light of the context of Scripture when they leave the temple. Remember, Jesus had talked about the scribes. He's talked to the Pharisees, the, the Sadducees, and the Herodians, and all the Jewish religious leaders and all. You know, so he talked a lot about judgment. And as Jesus leaves the temple, there's still judgment here. Look what Jesus answered the disciple. And Jesus answered and said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. So Jesus wasn't impressed as much as the disciple. Uh, and no doubt the answer here would truly have shocked the disciples. Uh, 
to think of their temple being destroyed. And, um, and, and we understand when Jesus said this, that it's a prophecy, and we know from history that the temple was destroyed in A.D. 70, 70 A.D. And that reminds me something about Jesus. And again, as we look at these just few verses, this is more of a, an introduction to Mark 13. And I get to share my heart when, regarding prophecy and eschatology and the importance of it, but also what it should do to our hearts. Right? But interesting, Jesus, when he predicted this or tells them, we know 70 AD this happened, and it reminded me of a few scriptures where Jesus is called faithful and true. I love that. In, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, it says, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. And then what about Revelation chapter 19, verse 11? Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. That's one of my favorite scriptures. I, oh, Because I know what that white horse, and I know I have a picture in my mind that will not compare to what we are going to experience when we come with him. Amen? We'll have to wait a while before we get to Revelation 19 to go over that. What about Revelation 22.6? Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. So again, Jesus, faithful and true, and he predicts 70 AD would happen. And true to his Prophetic prediction, less than 40 years later, the temple would be destroyed, as we remember the story. Again, you can find a lot of different details by what commentators you might read. But again, to uh, look at Josephus, the Roman general Titus invaded Jerusalem, put down an uprising which led to the city being destroyed. The initial plan was not to uh, destroy the temple. Somehow, a lot of different stories, a drunken... Uh, uh, Roman soldier started the fire. The fire grew very intensely, uh, intense, and uh, because of the fire, it melted the gold. And of course, the gold uh, reaching to all the different crevices. The Roman uh, army then they would, you know, get the stone moved to retrieve the gold. Do your own search on that. It's pretty pretty amazing. Just as Jesus predicted. When they were finished, not one stone was left on one another. So this prophecy then regarding the destruction of the temple is so very powerful. And a reminder for us how powerful prophecy is. It's been said that prophecy is how God authenticates his message. We know we can know the Bible is true. We can know Jesus is true. We can know the gospel message is true because of the prophetic word of God. For instance, when Jesus came the first time, we understand that it fulfilled over 300 prophecies from the Old Testament. His birth, his location, the nature of his ministry, his riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, his suffering on a cross, you know, all prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years prior to Jesus coming. And there, how much more in the Bible from the Old and New Testament giving us prophecy of his second coming? So here, Jesus, he's telling the disciples of the coming destruction of the temple, which probably didn't make a lot of sense to them, but they do connect the dots. And um, it didn't line up, as we know, with their expectation of the Messiah. They knew the prophecies of the Messiah. I believe the disciples knew that Jesus was the Messiah, but understand they were thinking that he was the Messiah would come and set up that millennial kingdom after taking care of the oppressors of Israel. And so they, they connect the dots here. They hear what Jesus is saying. 
They're putting two and two together. They're, they're thinking, okay, when is this going to take place? In verse 3 it says, Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, so he's no longer just at the temple there coming out. He's ascended from the Kidron Valley and then gone up to the, to the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, and then Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign all these things will be fulfilled? And in Matthew chapter 24, verse 3, we're told, what will be the sign of the end of the age? So there's really three questions all linking to, to, to Jesus here. Now, as Jesus answered these disciples, it's clear Jesus, as we read through the rest of this Olivet Discourse, it's clear that Jesus is speaking of future things. In verses 5 through 13, details are given to which the disciples would witness and experience in their life. In the same fashion, I believe the church today, we, we see these things. In verses 14 to 23, Jesus spoke of a future time, what is known as the tribulation period. In verses 20 through, 24 through 37, Jesus speaks of the second coming of Christ. Now, perhaps now would be a good time to submit to you what I believe are some important details when it comes to prophecy or eschatology that is the branch of theology that deals with future things. So let's look at Mark 13, verse 32 and 33. Jesus said in this Olivet Discourse, verse 32, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. So, Jesus said that. We do not know when he will come again. We don't know a lot of things when it comes to eschatology. Those are the words of Jesus. We do not know when the Son of Man um, will come again. At the same time, it is a fact that Jesus is coming again. Amen? Do you believe that? Oh, I like that. Okay. We understand that the second coming of Jesus is a cardinal doctrine of Christianity as seen throughout all the scriptures. Aspects of Bible prophecy surrounding the second coming of Christ is so essential even to the redemptive message of God to man. Such as the resurrection of the dead, final triumph of Christ over all of his enemies, the millennial kingdom. And so even though we don't know the day or the hour when Jesus comes again, we, it is clear throughout the scriptures we are to be watchful. We are to be watchmen. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1, the Apostle Paul writing to that church of Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 and 2 says, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Now, there's that reference of day of the Lord. When we read of day of the Lord, we should think judgment, right? That's yet future. But all in line with the second coming of Christ. The word times here refers to an indefinite amount of time. The word season can be translated from the Greek word uh, keros, which also refers to an indefinite period of time. So the time is indefinite. We don't know exactly but we can know generally by looking at the times that we're living in. But that can't be first. You think of throughout history, throughout history, how many times has the church really thought that somebody was the Antichrist? All throughout history. So that tells us we need to be careful. 
but that does not take away that we are to be watchful. We are to be mindful just as we look at uh, spring, summer, fall, and winter, knowing those seasons, we need to understand the seasons that we're living in. And now we live, we understand we are living in a season. You know, the Bible talks about end times. Well, end times didn't start with COVID. End times start back when Jesus left this earth, right? And we're living in these end times that we understand by looking at the times that we're living in, connecting it to the word of God, we understand that we are clothed. It's, it's got to be. Now, I'm being emotional there, but from the scriptures, we know that man's time, as we know it here on earth, this earth as we know it, it's coming to a close. From the scriptures. Now, it is absolutely fine to have strong opinions and convictions regarding eschatology as long as it's, it's in the realm of the scriptures. But let me just share you my, with my heart here. It doesn't matter what view we have of end times and timing. It should never divide the body of Christ. Never. You know, there are tremendous Bible scholars and, and, and pastors and commentators who have different convictions, you know, and interpretations surrounding the time of certain future events, you know, but never to divide the body of Christ. And here's another thing. Nor should eschatology be the only doctrinal view in the Christian's life. Oh my goodness, I've experienced this. You see, I struggle with somebody can know prophecy and know the Bible, but cannot describe the doctrine of justification or what the meaning of salvation really is or don't share their faith. We can be so consumed with eschatology, it's all head knowledge. But the Lord tells us and reminds us of these things. It's not just head knowledge. This is so much rooted in our life. And I struggle with those churches or pastors or whomever. I'm not going to touch on this stuff because it's too controversial. It's there. Jesus touched on it. If you teach the Bible, it's there. The Lord wants us to know that he's coming again. He wants us to know reasons why he's coming again. He wants us to know that there is going to be judgment here on earth. But he also wants to know that we live with the blessed hope that you and I as believers, no matter what our view is, we are going to spend eternity with him. You know, so the Olivet Discourse, you know, is the longest teaching of Jesus in the book of Mark, and it's great value that Jesus himself placed on prophecy in his second coming. And, um, you know, I will tell you my convictions of uh, a couple of doctrines here. I'm, I'm flattening out our what, what we believe. You guys ever see these over there? Anybody ever pick them up? Thank you. Thank you. But um, I think it's important. There's a reason why we have just this not exhaustive points of our view. And I want to read with you a couple... Um, thanks. First of all, the official stance of Calvary Chapel Faith Fellowship. Now, I'm going to share with you, I am a Calvary Chapel pastor. Blue and true. Pre-tribulation rapture. Absolutely. But I believed in pre-trib rapture before I became a Calvary Chapel pastor. So Calvary Chapel didn't make me become pre-trib. So here's our official stance. We believe the pre-millennial, pre-tribulation rapture of the church where all believers will meet the Lord in the air and will be taken out of this world prior to the tribulation that will become that will come upon the earth, the bema seat or judgment seat of Christ, where believers' lives of service to our King will be evaluated and appropriate rewards given. We believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ, which is his personal visible return to earth and the establishment of his millennial kingdom 
We believe in the resurrection of the body, the final judgment, and eternal blessing of the righteous, and the endless separation of the wicked. Now, why would I just bring that up now? Well, I want to share with you. As a new church, we get people come in, and we've had the hyper-preterists come in. And they love the fellowship. They, they love you, the fellowship. They sense the spirit of love. But one teaching of future things, and they left. And I only say that because this is why we have to, this is who we are. Never to divide. Never, ever to divide. We've had people come that did not hold a pre-tribulational view, but they wanted to see if they could get some men to disciple. That's an agenda. We deal with that. So it's necessary that we show what we believe from the scriptures. But I also had somebody say, well, what if you're wrong about the pre-trib rapture? Okay, that's a possibility. It's in my heart, it's my conviction, that Jesus is coming for his church before that seven-year tribulation period. And what if I'm wrong? Well, this is what I said. It doesn't matter if I'm wrong because my view of God doesn't change one bit. If I go through something, the Lord told me to be ready, and he's told me he's going to be with me. That's enough for me. I don't worry about being wrong. There's other things that, uh, throughout the scriptures that the body of Christ will differ on. And shame on us if we're, div if we're divisive. For believers, knowledge and conviction of Jesus coming again ought to be the greatest. This isn't thus saith the Lord. It should be the second greatest motivation to live life for him. Number one, we sang about this morning. He delivered us. He delivered us from the darkness into his marvelous light. And to know that he's coming, all throughout the scriptures, it shows that Jesus Christ is coming again. That means we are going to stand before him. And it also means I could breathe my last today and I will be before him. That should be motivational for me to live my life for Jesus to bring him glory and honor and praise because he's worthy of it. I think sometimes when we, um, you know, the body of Christ, we can get so focused on eschatology and don't mishear me, I'm there, I'm there. But when it doesn't produce something of an urgency in our heart to do the Lord's business, to live for him, to be the church, light to the world and salt to the earth, then we miss something. And it's interesting that when you look at the New Testament, you see those disciples, you know, those, these disciples that were asking Jesus and, you know, they weren't getting it. And, but it's, again, it's so amazing to see the Holy Spirit speak through them and have their conviction deeply rooted in, in God that they would be able to share with the church, not only that first Century church, but the Holy Spirit speaking to his church, us, on the second coming of Jesus. That's why I struggle if, if the church doesn't focus on prophecy. That means we haven't, we're not going through the word. Because Paul and Peter, John, they talked a lot under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit about the second coming of Jesus. Now, I want to just throw this out there. As we look at Mark 13, the rapture isn't here. My conviction, the rapture is not here. That's, this is more of Jesus talking to these disciples. They were Jewish. It certainly has a Jewish bent, but Jesus is talking about future things. <clears throat> but again, for believers, the knowledge and conviction, Jesus coming again, ought to be the great motivation for the way we live. And uh, when you think about Calvary Chapel Faith Fellowship, this is a, a deep-rooted, why would you want to go start a church? <laughs> Folks, not just me, us, in these last days. 
Well, that's just it. We're living in the last days, and we want to be a church that focuses on Jesus Christ and know that he's coming again and share the word of God with people, share the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they might be ready and not go through judgment. But let's look at 1 John chapter 3. And take a few verses here. As you might already know, we're not going to finish Mark 13 today. But again, this is just a, a deep-rooted conviction that prophecy, eschatology, plays a prominent role in the church and individuals' lives. How about 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1? <coughs> Excuse me. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Now that is, that's strong exhortation here. If you have the hope that Jesus is coming again and we're going to be with him and we're going to see him for who he is, that's motivation for me to want to live a purified life because he's pure. Essentially paraphrased, Become like Him. Become like Jesus. That's our standard for living, to be like Jesus. To be conformed to the image of His Son. So if you think, well, you know, what am I to do as a believer? Well, live like Jesus. Live for Jesus. But again, this speaks of, you know, purifying and, and hope. This is part of the blessed hope that we have. If we're going to, we're going to stand before the Lord. And we have that conviction that we will stand before the Lord. Right there is hope. But that hope ought to be penetrating our heart that we're living for Him. And if you live now with the Holy Spirit leading, guiding, and directing, when you do sin, when you do mess up, you have that conviction. And praise God for conviction as believers. Because we had that hope from the Word of God, I can go to Him and I could be forgiven of my sin to have my relationship with Him restored. What a great hope that is. That's not as Christians we believe that we live under the grace of God, that we can live any way we want. That's not. No, God gives us the grace that I don't have to sin anymore. Amen? I don't have to sin. Satan's not. When we sin, it's because we choose to sin as believers. We're not, we're not being led to sin. We choose the flesh over the Lord. But praise God for His grace that, come here, I, I know, come here, come to me. Be forgiven. And then I love 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3. I like looking at these disciples. Now they were filled with the Spirit. And God used them in such a way... He, Use them even for, for us. <clears throat> Second Peter chapter 3, we'll look at verses 14 through 18, but leading up to this, the context here, back in verse 3, Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, Knowing this, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So are there scoffers today? Sure. Looking at us Christians, you know, <laughs> you say Jesus is coming again. Where is he? Well, he's not here yet, but he's coming. And then Peter reminds the believers that 
In verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There we see the very heart of God. And you look down to um, uh, verse 11. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So there we capture the mindset or the context of what Peter, again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says next. Therefore, since all this, what has been said, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. I, I call that motivation. That's the exhortation of the Holy Spirit for you and I today. To be found in peace without spot and blameless. You know how it is when you were kids, and some of you still are kids, and you never wanted to disappoint your parents. And I hope you feel that same way that we did back when we were kids. And when you did disappoint them, there was a feeling about it. Until you got to be teenagers, and that feeling went away for a few years. But A sense of letting down. We all should have that mindset with Jesus. We don't want to let him, we don't want to let him down. We want to live for him. I don't know who said it, but it captured my heart years and years ago. We get one life to live for Jesus as believers, and then we're with him. to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. I, I love that when, when Peter gives reference to Paul. You know, Paul had to call out Peter a time or two, didn't he? First, a little bit of hypocrisy. Now he acknowledges that this Paul, this Paul, he, he, know, he taught on these things. He taught about the coming of the Lord. He talked about the day of the Lord. And he makes reference to him. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand. I'm so glad the Holy Spirit put this in the Word, that it's not just me that doesn't understand so much. When you think about end times, eschatology, prophecy, there are a lot of things. And the more I grow in the Lord, the, the less I really know. But it's more and more about Him. Even as we go through Mark 13, we can't think that we have it all down. Or Listen, that's not wavering. That doesn't mess with my eschatology at all. I'm just saying we don't, we're man. We don't have it all down. We don't have everything down that's going to take place. It's interesting, the Jewish people, they had the prophets, they had all these things, they had the Messiah coming and they missed him. I wonder what God has up his sleeve for us when we stand before him. And, oh, that's what it was, Lord. I know he's a God of grace, so I can say that. Some things are hard to understand, which, and he goes on, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own, their own destruction as they do also the rest of the scriptures. So I tell you, how much prophecy, eschatology is twisted and turned to man's way that doesn't even reflect God. Or line up with the rest of the Bible on these things, on end time events. Here's the exhortation at the end of Peter's second letter. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware 
lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the air of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. So beware. I don't think we're going to get to it today, but interesting in the Olivet Discourse, the first warning Jesus gives his disciples do not be deceived. For many is going to come in his name. We've seen that. That's happened. But the exhortation from the Holy Spirit for you and I this morning, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness. What's that mean? Well, it really means that we need to abide in Jesus Christ. Abide in his word. Abide in him. If the warning there is being led away with the air of the wicked, it's there for good reason. Many are being led astray today. They're led astray the very moment they leave the Word of God. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. What about Romans 13? Speaking of Paul, Romans chapter 13. Beginning in verse 11. And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Now again, we can read right there that the Apostle Paul, he was expecting Jesus to come very soon. And that's the message for, for all of God's church, is to always be ready, as we'll see as we are in Mark chapter 13. When you look at any revivals that have taken place throughout you know, the last couple hundred years, it's Eschatology had a major part. They believed Jesus, Jesus was coming. And they prayed. But there's some pretty important things here that the Word of God says. And it might be speaking to someone here this morning specifically. You now, as the body of Christ as a whole, there's a need to wake up to understand the times we're living in. What about your personal life, individuals here? Let us walk properly. According to the Spirit. You know, what is, what is the one thing in your life that if Jesus came today, you would be ashamed of? That's not, I don't know what that is. But we're talking about the importance of being ready for the Lord's coming and not wanting to not please Him. What, if there's something in your life, the Holy Spirit might be telling you right now, it's, it's time to deal with it because He's coming soon. If you believe that He's coming soon, we believe, we believe right? We believe He could come today for His church. What is that one thing if there is something? But here's the standard. Again, verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. This is the exhortation for you and I, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the standard. He's the standard for you and I to live. He is our living hope. Let's look at one more scripture. 
their promise. How about Philippians chapter 1, 6? Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. I love reading the prayers of Paul for the church. Why don't we read verse 3 with it? Starting in verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of my making request for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful promise that we have. The Apostle Paul was confident of this very thing. Can we not subject this to our own life and, and we cannot be confident of this very thing? that the good work that God began in you, that he's going to see it through to completion until the day of the Lord, until the day of Jesus Christ. You know, the Lord brought you out of the world and into his marvelous light. He brought you out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. If you ever have days where it's like, oh, man, being a Christian is hard. Well, it's the Lord. He loved you so much that he brought you into the kingdom of God. He loves you so much that he's given you a helper. He loves us so much that he's brought us together. And we can pray for one another this prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed. How wonderful it is to be with like-minded believers, having this very confidence. It doesn't matter what you might be going through today. Uncertainty, fear, anxiety, pain, suffering. The Lord is seeing you through it and is doing a good work that he began and he's going to see it to completion. And you can rejoice greatly. You might be suffering now. That's not forever. I know people here in our church, they go through different things, and it seems like at times things just get piled up. But the Lord's doing a work. And the testimony of your life to others is magnificent. So we're going to stop there, but I encourage you to read through Mark chapter 13. I knew we wouldn't get too far. These are some things that I needed to share from my heart. And again, the importance of prophecy producing an urgency in our hearts to live for him. And you didn't even get to touch on it very much, but to share Jesus Christ with others. Amen. And I'm so, again, thankful. This is a church that prays, a church that believes that Jesus is coming again. And I am so blessed that this is a church that loves to share their faith. That's not a have to thing. It's a get to. So, Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, we're all over the place in the scriptures, but uh, Lord, the thought of you coming to understand these things, Lord Jesus, that you gave to the disciples and which the Holy Spirit brings forth. They can be hard things, Lord, when we look into the future things that we don't see clearly, things that we might not understand. But one thing we do understand is that, Lord Jesus, you are faithful and true to your word. You will accomplish your word. And so with that, Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit upon this church. Lord, that we would have it so rooted in our hearts from the Holy Scriptures that point to your coming. And Lord, that that would be a joy. It would be our blessed hope, knowing that we are citizens of heaven and we are waiting. And let us not just slide over the Scriptures that speak of the judgment that is to come. 
as we know, God, that you are going to judge this earth. There's going to be a time when you judge this earth. And this earth is going to be no more. And we know that's part of your plan. And all those those things that we don't understand, Lord, we know that none of your plan will ever violate who you are, your character, your nature, your love for your creation. And Lord, it's our great desire that we would carry on in that mode to be a people that are loving, a people that are obedient to the word when it says to be watchful and to be ready, not with an excitement that you're going to destroy this world, but an excitement that you're going to make things right. And you have precious and magnificent promises yet to be fulfilled for your church, for your people. May we be a people of hope, declaring the good news of Jesus Christ to this lost and dying world. And Father, would you grant us mercy when we go through sufferings, when we're tired, when we're weary, that we might experience your grace in a powerful way. And that you would use that, Lord, for your glory in the lives of others. Father, all of us here have those that don't know you in our lives. Friends, co-workers, family. As we ask for the prompting of your Holy Spirit to fall, we ask specifically for an urgency like we've never had before. to share the good news of Jesus. Have your way with your church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hello, this is Pastor Jim from Calvary Chapel Faith Fellowship located in northern Cincinnati. Thank you for listening to today's Abiding Word. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So we hope the Word has encouraged you in your walk with the Lord today. You can email me at PastorJimSwigert at gmail.com. That's PastorJimSwigert at gmail.com with any comments or prayer requests. You can also connect with us at Calvary Chapel Faith Fellowship. Church website is CalvaryChapelFaithFellowship.org. There you can learn more about the ministry of Calvary Chapel Faith Fellowship. Thank you and God bless.